0: You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please
1: visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Just to introduce the Advent, this is
0: my favorite time. Uh, in this year calendar for our church. And it has been for several years. I love Advent. Uh, because Advent is a time where we slow down. And for four, sometimes five weeks as a church, we reflect on the incarnation of Jesus Christ and on his second coming. And we spend time thinking about how complex that is, how simple It is, and how filled with meaning his incarnation and second coming is. And it becomes my favorite season because we've always taken, as a church, as a community, a very deliberate approach. We've always thought hard about, well, what are we going to participate in this Advent season And we've really taken a lot of different approaches. We've come up with a lot of different ways into the story. We thought hard about what would be great in the life of our community. And I think something that I've learned over the years is that we will never exhaust the riches of the Incarnation and the Second Coming. We will be coming up and dreaming up new ways to ponder that together For the rest of our lives and that's super exciting to me i love that this year as we've dreamed up as pastor christian particularly has dreamed up where we would be this advent season we've parked ourselves here in ephesians chapter 3 with a particular focus on verse 18 which just as a reminder says this that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth of Christ's love. We are dwelling this season in the dimensions of Christ's love. This is the second week of Advent, so we'll be looking at the second dimension listed there by Paul, the length of God's love. So the main idea this morning is, how long is God's love how long is God's love? Now, traditionally, as you read through the commentaries, as, as commentators on the scriptures have thought about how to separate these four dimensions and, and, and speak to them individually, the dimension of length is less like how far or a distance-based analogy, but how long in terms of time. How Long in terms of time is this idea of God's love. So we asked ourselves this morning, how long is God's love? We're trying to understand that concept as it relates to our past, his past, the world's past, the present that we're in right now, and then the future As the future. So as we begin to think about the theme of time and the timelessness of God's love, this is definitely a theme that can induce what I use a lot, which is the swirly-eyed emoji. That one, right? Have you ever used that one? I use that one a lot because I get confused a lot, and maybe because I like anime or something. But right, as you think about time and timelessness and eternity, and that God never had a beginning or end, I, I, I am. This is my face that I make when I when I think about it, and we might have that uh, that face at some point in this sermon. You may be having it right now, which is okay. Um, But as we, as finite human beings, try to grasp the infinite, it can be a challenge. And I think one thing that I love about Paul is that he sort of admits that straight away, that this is going to be hard. In the verse after our main verse, verse 19, Paul says that, that we are to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul is saying, we want, I want you to consider, I want you to comprehend, I want you to know God's love that surpasses knowledge. So either my mission this morning is to super wow you with the surpassing knowledge or it means that today, no matter what I say, no matter what we do, no matter what we sing, it's just the tip of the iceberg because it's surpassing. Spoiler alert, it's the latter. It's, we're just going to hit the tip of the iceberg today. The big idea is that our God is more than we can handle in one sitting. He's more than we can handle in a hundred sittings, and he's more than we can handle in eternal sittings. Therefore, the things that he gives us by his grace are more than we can handle in one sitting, more than we can handle in a hundred sittings, more than we can handle in eternal sittings, including his love. So this morning, we're going to begin and continue in thinking through, comprehending, trying to understand, trying to grasp the timelessness of God's love. And we're going to break it up into three points this morning. Outside, inside, and inside out. That's our three points. We're going to work through those and we'll see where we end up at the end. So first, outside. As I said before, time is an interesting concept to consider. And as humans bound by time, we sort of explore this theme a lot. Like think of things that we say even on a daily basis. We use phrases like on time or time flies in the nick of time, turn back the hands of time, only time will tell, kill time, time heals all wounds, etc., etc., etc. We probably could spend the rest of the sermon just coming up with a list of all of these things that we say. We make movies as humans that are also quite time-obsessed, right? Like Back to the Future, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Avengers, Endgame, Looper, Star Trek IV, which is my favorite on the list. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. They go back in time to uh, San Francisco. It's pretty great. Uh, meet the Robinsons. Memento, which is definitely a movie. If you've ever seen Memento, it gives me the swirly-eyed emoji. I can't quite comprehend it. Uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, as well. And even we have scientists who are dedicated to this idea of of time. Theoretical physicists who are trying to understand time, who are trying to figure out time travel. So it's almost as if, as a human race, that we're trying to find the edges of the limits of time. We're exploring time with art, with language, and science to engage our minds to reckon with the concept that time is ticking and there's nothing that we can do about it. How close to the edge of time can we get? Can we find the edge of time or at least the edges of the limits that time places on us? In the church, we often say that our enemies are Satan, sin, and death. But maybe as humans, we would also add time as the fourth. Our human instinct is to fight against time. Perhaps part of the reason is that we're so interested in this concept is that as humans, that there's something timeless written into our beings, because the God who created us is not bound by time. He's outside of time. The psalmist in Psalm 90 beautifully describes God in this way: "Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever had formed, or you had ever formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist puts it so eloquently, right? He's saying, look into the past, and God is everlasting. He never had a beginning. And now let's look into the future. He never has an end. He is everlasting. When we wrap our minds and our language around God, it can really make our head hurt. Like, how does that work, But when we put language around it, we realize that God is not like us. The band uh, Citizens has a song that sort of also explores this idea that I think is maybe more simple and helpful, at least for me. I sing it while I mow the lawn. Uh, And it says this. More than we ever thought. We couldn't dream it up. We'll spend forever with you. Won't find the edges Of you. You're our eternity, infinite destiny. Go on forever with you, won't find the edges of you. I love that idea that there is no way for us to find the edges of God. He has no edges to reach. And as such, in his eternal character, we ask. How long is God's love? When we ask that question, the response must be, it's eternal. His love as he is, is eternal. We won't be able to find the edges of God's love. And this is how he is, his love is described in the Old Testament. 42 times, like that's a lot of times in the old Testament is the phrase for his steadfast love endures how long forever as finite humans that make mistakes. We often spend time in our relationships, scared of finding the edges of someone's love for us. And maybe that's like, that's us today. As we move into the holiday season, this can be a particularly poignant time to arouse these sorts of feelings. Maybe we will encounter someone in this season, or maybe purposefully avoid someone in this season, or we know that someone is purposefully avoiding us because we have reached the edge of our love for one another. It could be something that happened in our past. Maybe we made a really big mistake Maybe we had just a huge fight with someone. It could be something in our present. Maybe it's just, it's a failed relationship. It's a life choice that we're living into. It could even, we can even experience this sort of dissonance with humans about something that hasn't even happened yet, right? We have a really great way as humans of holding the future over each other's heads. And we can bring the same mindset into our relationship with God, Or you may think that you are unable to be loved by God because of this sort of idea, right? You've reached the limit, the end, the edge of his love. The incredible thing about our God is that his steadfast love endures forever. This means that his steadfast love never had a beginning, is enduring today And will never have an ending. None of us can find the edges of God's love. Alexander McLaren put it this way What is the length of the love of Christ? Here is one measure of it. However, so long drawn out my sin may be, this is longer. And the white line of his love runs out into infinity far beyond the point where the black line of my sin stops. Anything short of eternal patience would have been long ago exhausted by your sins and mine and our brethren's. But the pitying Christ, the eternal lover of all wandering souls, looks down from heaven upon every one of us, goes with us in all our wanderings, bears with us in all our sins, in all our transgressions, still is gracious. The length of the love of Christ is the length of eternity and outmeasures all human sin. What McLaren is saying is that it is nothing we've done, there is nothing that we have done in the past, present, or future that can disrupt God's plan to love us. It is his purpose. It is his nature. It is who he is to love us. Your mistakes, your life choices, your sin, as we call it in the church, is not a surprise to God. And this endlessness of love is not something God had to learn, but it's who he is. Put more succinctly, Gerhardus Voss puts it this way. The best proof that God the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Our God is a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. He is outside of our construct of time, and his love is from everlasting to everlasting. So, now to the point, next point inside. In some ways, it is the eternality or the infinitude and bigness of God and his love that can be an instant point of distance and avoidance on our part when engaging with spiritual things or with God, right? It's hard to find like a way in, right? He's so big, like where do I even start when it comes to an infinite God, And I think that this is where the Christmas story becomes such an invitation. If you find yourself this morning on the outside looking into God and the things of God, it's the Christmas story where God breaks down the walls to say, I love you. Maybe in a way that is the most tangible and relatable. And if that describes you this morning, We are so glad that you are here. And it takes a lot of courage to come and to be sitting in a church with a bunch of people who already believe this. But we're so thankful that you're here. I hope that you listen to how much God loves you. In Harry Potter, I'm gonna do a Harry Potter analogy now. Uh, In Harry Potter, the legend... And the story of Harry was known, right, throughout all of the wizarding world. As Voldemort killed his parents and couldn't kill him, he was the boy who lived. So everyone knew his name. The wizarding world and the world at large in the story had a very real enemy, right? Voldemort. And they were preoccupied with his reappearance. Like, what are we going to do when he comes back? They wouldn't even say his name. They were so scared of him. And the world was waiting for a hero, someone to come into the story to be a beacon of light. And we know from reading the story that that person is Harry. This almost godlike figure whose story has been told and retold re reenters the wizarding world as a child and matures into an adult and his task is to be the hero to save the world. And as you consider sort of the way the story unfolds, it would seem that Harry entered the story, Harry arrives at Hogwarts just at the right time. And the same sort of thing happens in the story of the Bible. The world is filled with enemies both inside and outside the walls of the human heart. And everyone is trying to figure out who will come into the story to help us. Who is it going to be the hero of our story? Is it a philosopher? Is it a king? Is it a priest? Is it a prophet? Is it a war hero? Is it A miracle worker, a celebrity, a president, a supernatural being, some sort of force. The reason the Christmas story is such a strong invitation is that it is the story of the great, big, outside-of-time God coming to earth, breaking inside of time to put his full, unhindered love on display. The beginning of the Gospel of John, which is a book in the Bible that just tells Jesus' story, puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying is that the pre-existing one, God himself, put on human flesh and dwelt among men. God writes himself into the story of time to deal directly with our need to be loved by him. In the Christmas story, the baby in the manger surrounded by the livestock and the shepherds is not just a cute picture or a sentimental idea that we put on cards The story is so much deeper than that. The eternal outside of time God of all things wrapped himself in human flesh and came inside of time to put his love on display. Let's just like sit with that, like for this Advent season. What a mysterious, deep, time-filled reality to ponder. And what we discover in the story is that Jesus comes just as the right time. Paul tells us in Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, right? When the fullness of time, when, time, when the time was right, God sent, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What Paul is saying is that the son, Jesus, was born just at the right time to redeem those who were condemned by their mistakes and sin. And this makes perfect sense, right? Because the God who is outside of time, who can see the beginning from the end, will be able to pick the exact moment to enter the story. And he does so in Jesus. And it is Jesus who then becomes this figure who blows up history, whether you're a believer or not, Jesus is the most like famous person ever. He is a force that must be reckoned with. H.G. Wells put it this way. I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Our calendar are literally set by his coming into time and counting up until he comes again. His teachings and disciples have done more to shape Western culture than anything else. And his story starts in a small city called Bethlehem. As he was being born to a young, at that point, historically inconsequential woman in a feeding trough. This invitation of the Advent season is to come to Bethlehem and to peer into the manger and consider the incredible story of a God who broke into time to show you how much and how long he desires to love you. That is an incredible story. A God who is outside of time, breaking inside of time with the motivation of love. And this is the point where we turn to the third point in the sermon, which is inside out. Because it is this outside of time God who breaks inside of time, who has now the ability to turn our lives inside out. In 2022, the idea that God is eternal and even the idea that God can break into time and show us his love can I almost still become like a cliche, right? We live in this post-Christian world, so it can almost seem like we get like gold stars if we assume that the things of God are not cool or amazing Our hearts can become unmoved and cold to the truth of this incredible story. And yet, it is this story that has the power to turn our lives inside out if we take a minute, if we stop for a second and we meditate. And that is this Advent season. And this is an invitation to join us for the rest of the Advent season as we stop, as we slow down, as we consider together. Every year, I have a tradition where I read Uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I do it every year, Uh, which, by the way, is another time-obsessed story, right? I didn't list that one uh, at the beginning. But Scrooge, in the story, he has to reckon with his past, present, and future. The charm, and I think the long-lasting nature of the Scrooge story is that the most unlikely of characters becomes the most redeemed character in the story, and in this Christmas season, we all need to believe that a story like Scrooge like, can really happen, that someone so vile and so unfeeling can be changed. Dickens created a character that stands apart from us, right? Like none of us this morning are raising our hand going like, yeah, like I'm just like Scrooge. But perhaps in the things that he says, in the things that he does, there's a little bit of us. We're not all of Scrooge, but there's a bit of Scrooge in all of us. And the story pulls on our heartstrings because we want, we need our own redemption story. We want to be changed like Scrooge. And often, we're looking for the power to do it. Like, where does the power come from? Like, right, where's my Marley coming to summon three ghosts to visit me? What I'd like us to consider is the why of the Christmas story. Why did Jesus come? Now, it's interesting enough, we actually already read the next verse that I'm going to read in our call to give, which is amazing, how the Spirit works and unites all things together. But when we consider the why of the Christmas story, the why of why Jesus comes, Jesus told us in probably the most famous Bible verse of all, in John 3:16. right? We know this verse, "For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life." The story of Jesus doesn't end in the manger or with the wise men a few years later, when we read the Gospels, we read this incredible story of Jesus's life, which ends in a tragic death, but not a death without a purpose. As Jesus himself tells us, God gave his only son. He gave us his son that we could be eternal like he is eternal. Like, let that one sink in. Like God gave his only son so that we could be eternal like he is eternal. And we're told that God's motivation for making us eternal is that he so loved the world. Jesus' love-motivated mission was to take broken, silly, Scrooge-like people like us, like you, like me, who make mistakes, who do like the wrong thing, who don't do the right thing, who sin and give his life so that we could live. This is how he turns our lives inside out. A.W. Tozer said it this way, but there is more. God's gifts in nature have their limitations. They are finite because they have been created, but the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus is as limitless as God. The Christian man possesses God's own life and shares his infinitude with him. In God, there is life enough for all and time enough to enjoy it. Whatever is possessed of natural life runs through its cycle from birth to death and ceases to be. But the life of God returns upon itself and ceases never. And this is life eternal, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. The Jesus that came in a manger over 2,000 years ago is coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to take those who believe in him to live in his love eternally. The story of God's love never had a beginning and it never has an end. He is welcoming us through Jesus Christ into an eternity filled with his love. If you're on the outside looking into this story this morning, Jesus' own words are so simple. What's the barrier? What's the mission? What, it, what is it that you have to do? In John 3.16, Jesus says it so simply, you have to believe, which is such like a Christmassy word. As Jesus would say elsewhere in the gospels, repent and believe, giving us a little bit more of an understanding. Give up your Scrooge-like desire to be in control and look, look, and look out for yourself. Like Give that up and give your life to believing in Jesus. Like that's, like, that's it. That's it. And the reward is eternal life in the love of God. Like, what an amazing story. The God who is eternal, breaking into time to make us eternal, turning our lives inside out. Not so that he can take from us, but that he can continue for all of eternity giving his love over and over and over to us. So what do we do with this? Well, for the Christian, the timelessness of God's love is our motivation for joy and gratitude this season. We have been and are being and will be forever loved by our God. J.I. Packer said, to know that from eternity, my maker for my sin, for loved me and resolved to save me, though it would be at the cost of Calvary, to know that the divine son was appointed from eternity to be my savior and that in love he became man for me and died for me and now lives to intercede for me and will one day come in person to take me home and has promised to hold me fast and never let me go. This is knowledge that brings overwhelming gratitude and joy. Let's make it a point this Advent season to be filled with joy and gratitude, to put aside what we don't have and glory in all that we have in Christ. Let our singing of Christmas carols be extra joyous and filled with gratitude because we know that God loves us and will be loving us forever. For those of us this morning who might not, you might not count yourself as a part of the church or a part of the story of God. Maybe you feel yourself on the outside of the love of God or you feel like you're just on the edge looking in. The story of the Advent season is that Jesus came once to get you and he is coming again. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, there is not a soul too far gone that God cannot turn inside out by his love. As I said before, this timeless love of God is for those who repent and believe. The call is simple. The results are eternal. I would encourage you, answer his
1: call today. Let's pray. Father,